This is the Straight Goat Podcast, and I'm continuing with the basic fundamental principles of marksmanship. And I'm going to take a step back, and this is motivated by going over and seeing people doing hunter's sight in. And, and this time of year, private ranges open up to the public and allow them to come and sight in their firearms for hunting. Some of them are brand new, some of them are experienced, but you get to see a huge spectrum of firearm owners getting ready for the hunting season. And I always fall back on the proper handling and safety when I'm around people like that. It's not to say that I don't see good, effective, and appropriate firearm handling skills or safety, but sometimes you don't. And as a culture that likes to use firearms and handle them and do a number of things with them, I think fostering that culture of safety is really important. And like most Straight Dope Podcasts, I'm sitting here by myself, rambling on, and when I lose my train of thought, that's usually when I hit stop and post. But if I miss something or you want to add a comment or share some thoughts or ideas, criticisms, email me at, at chrisrway at gmail.com. I love hearing back from you guys, and I realize this is a one-way talk, and it's a talk that's generally about my journey and understanding what is involved in being able to be a well-rounded marksman. But preceding all of that is this principle of safety. So let's talk about this. The first rule that I hear come up more often than not is to treat firearms as if they're loaded. Whether or not you know it's unloaded, whether or not you checked it, having the mindset and adopting the mindset that this firearm is loaded instills behavior and vigilance that can reduce incidents because you understand and respect the fact that you're holding a tool that can do something that can hurt something else. And I think that's really important, understanding and respecting that. And that respect can grow over time, but it can also go away if you practice or habitually ignore those rules of firearm safety. And I think it's really important to treat every firearm as if it's loaded because that builds the habit and the mindfulness of safety that not only protects you, but it protects everyone around you. When firearm stuff comes up, it's not uncommon to hear people say, it's an inanimate object and it can't do anything on its own. And while that's true, if you're handling a firearm, you've added an element that can consciously and subconsciously do things. If you're consciously training things, then you're more likely to do those things subconsciously as well. And so the mindset of safety, it doubles back and prevents you from doing things that you wouldn't normally do, such as putting your finger on the trigger, closing the bolt, taking off the safety, doing whatever it is. And if you feel like it's loaded and behave as if it's loaded, you're less likely to do some of the other things that are on this list. Now, the rules of firearm safety are a long list. And if you treat each one independently, it's very unlikely that you're going to have a problem, but there's a series of them. And so if you follow them, and one of them gets broken, it's still likely that the other ones are going to overlap and protect you. But you have to be aware of all of those. And I think introducing people to that in a way that's not scary, but it's intriguing and it's empowering is important because we want to foster that culture 
and that mindset of safety and fun and that there's a lot of things that we can do to it. And it's a privilege that we have here uh, in, in this country that allows us to do and excel at a lot of things that other countries don't have that. Right. Now, in addition to treating it like it's loaded, oftentimes the next rule that comes up or the next topic of discussion is to keep the muzzle pointed in a safe direction. Don't point the rifle at anything that you're not willing to destroy. Uh, I've heard it phrased a number of different ways, but that muzzle is directing the path of the bullet. Right? We talk about sight picture. We talk about reticles. But really what those are doing is giving us an idea of where that muzzle is pointing. And so if you're aware of where your muzzle's pointed and it's pointed in a safe direction, even if it's shot, in a worst case scenario, it would not go into something that you did not want to hurt, damage, or destroy. So keeping that business end of the firearm pointed in a safe direction is very important. Now that safe direction can be up, it can be down, you have to be aware and mindful of the things that are around you, but controlling it and being aware of where it's pointed allows you to make that choice. And if you're walking around or carrying that firearm and you've practiced it, you'll understand where that safe direction is and be able to moderate and control it, right? You want it away from people, you want it away from animals, you want it away from objects that you don't tend to shoot. You also don't want it pointed in a direction that's gonna fly through the air um, and, 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 and land somewhere. <clears throat> so sometimes the appropriate answer is down into the dirt. Sometimes the appropriate answer is up into the air. And a lot of that depends on the situation. But this rule minimizes the risk of incidents, uh, even if something bad did happen. So in combination with treating it like it's loaded, keeping your finger off the trigger, um, doing all of the safety things that you need, keeping that muzzle pointed in a safe direction is really important. And one way that I've helped my kids become aware of this, even myself, you know, we have Nerf guns in the house and uh, I actually recently bought one of those bug assault things where you know you shoot the flies around with this, the table salt. And doing things that generally seem like fun and not necessarily gun related really opens up your eyes to the conscious and subconscious reactions of people with muzzles and firearms. And it's a good way to practice firearm safety in a safer condition is, uh, you know, be around, be in your house with a Nerf gun, be in your house with a bug assault, be in your house with an unloaded, cleared dry fire weapon or something like that, and walk around and see what you do with that muzzle. And if there are times where the muzzle's not pointing in a safe direction, how are you handling that firearm and are you aware of the consequences of doing that? I think that's a pretty cool way and fun way to not only get a glimpse at your habits and your mindfulness as well as your mindlessness when it comes to that stuff and it's using something that isn't a firearm so that you can have some growing pains associated with it. Keeping your finger off of the trigger until you're ready to shoot is also vital. I, I think that um, when I'm introducing somebody to shooting, which I don't do very often, but when I am, I think a lot of people are inclined to put their finger right onto the trigger. They grab the, they grab the, the handle, the grip, whatever it is on your rifle, the stock, and the finger goes to the trigger. And instilling that idea that your finger stays out of the trigger well and off of the trigger has to be taught to people. They may have seen it in movies, they may have heard it before, but some people haven't or don't, or even if they do consciously recognize that that's something, 
behaviorally, the finger goes to that trigger. Keeping somebody to train, keeping your finger off the trigger, actually takes work and practice. Making sure that trigger finger is off until you're ready to shoot is very important because if something goes wrong and all the other conditions aren't met, it's not likely going to shoot unless something else hits that trigger. And the most likely thing that's going to hit your trigger is your finger. Keeping the finger off of it also allows you to develop a shot process that incorporates when you're going to put your finger on the trigger. So you build your position, you go through your shot process, you get a sight picture, everything is great, close your bolt, take up the safety, do a, a, a bolt release, whatever it is that you're going to be doing. When you're ready to shoot, all of a sudden, you can change that mindset to, okay, finger is going to the trigger, that's going to prevent you from accidentally pulling that trigger or having that trigger pulled for you or something startles you or there's a noise or who knows what could happen, right? Um, trying to imagine all the scenarios where a finger on a trigger could potentially shoot is infinite. I think that when it comes to preventing accidental discharges, a finger off a trigger is a pretty good thing to have on that list, right? So you treat it like it's loaded, you make sure the muzzle is pointed in a safe direction and you keep your finger off the trigger, that firearm is not likely going to hurt anybody or anything. Having the discipline to incorporate the trigger finger onto the trigger in that shot process not only teaches you about the shot process, about the sight picture, about the stability of the position, but it also gets you in this sequential kind of uh, discipline and format so that in the long run, it's also going to play a role in helping you develop and maintain accuracy and precision, which is what all of us want when it comes down to shooting. So ensuring that your shot is taken when you're ready to take, I think keeping the finger off the trigger is really important. Now, people trying to go too fast, trying to do things, it's sometimes a little bit questionable, but if everything else is handled, then there are overlaps and safety protocols in place that will prevent anything bad from happening in the event that that doesn't happen, although it's good to have all these happening at the same time. Knowing where your target is, knowing what's behind your target, what's over the horizon from your target, what's behind a wall from your target, I think understanding what it is that you're shooting at and what is behind it and around it is very important. I think that I first became aware of this with skyline targets or skylined animals and understanding that if you miss, you don't know what's back there. Somebody could pop their head over. In fact, I've been in matches where there's been hikers that pop over a hill in the middle of a match and they were just back there hiking. They had no idea there was a shooting competition. They saw this weird looking thing sticking up on the hill. So they walked up to it and poof, there's a person. Uh, knowing what's behind it is very important. I also train at a facility that does a lot of law enforcement training, and they have people that are less familiar with firearms and more familiar with firearms. If you go to a public range or a range like that, and you see people that are doing their quals at various distances with targets, you realize that not all shots are the level of accuracy and precision that you would want them to be. If you're shooting at something and there's something behind it where a miss might compromise that thing, it's important to have noticed and recognized that ahead of time. I think that, um, you know, this, this goes into another podcast and it's a little bit of a, a kind of a tangent, but, um, you know, I, I saw this 
this this qual target and it, you know had the person and the hostage and there were shots all around it. I mean there were hundreds of shots, but but there was quite a few that were around um, the perpetrator. And and I had also heard a podcast about you know the stopping power of rounds and, and what caliber is better. Do you, you know do you want uh, you know ten mil nine mil? Do you want this kind of bullet or that kind of bullet? And um, you know all those all those conversations depend on actually hitting the target in the first place, right? If you miss the target, its stopping power isn't as important for the thing that you're trying to do because you've already, um, you know, essentially compromised the safety of, of everything else around. And, and so having this as a fundamental rule and an awareness that, that, you know, we like to obsess and think about the very specific nuances of hitting things. Can my rifle shoot small group? Can I shoot a pretty small group? What are my stressors? What's the right caliber? What's the right load? But um, if you've ever missed a target, which I can't imagine anybody listening here having never missed a target, uh, certainly there's no competitors that have gone to a match that have never missed a target thinking about what was behind that target may not have crossed your mind, but getting in that habit of, well, I'm just going to shoot at it and most likely I'm going to hit it is forgetting that in reality, we need to be aware of that and have that as part of our mindset. And I think that's easy to get out of with competition because you're like, whether you know you're going to hit it or not, people are going to shoot at a target, but that could very quickly turn into complacency that could cause problems down the road. So knowing what your target is, where it is, and what lies beyond it is very important. You know, I think that this topic alone could be multiple podcasts because it goes into some pretty advanced things, but having that mindset and that awareness is very important. Now, keeping in mind, you've done all the other things, that's still very important because there is a chance that you're going to miss, and if you miss, then what? Right? You're responsible for the round, and having that mindset of responsibility for the projectile that you sent out is important because ultimately you are responsible and you are the person that is going to have to deal with the consequences of that round not going where it was intended, you know, why it was shot there um, and, and the circumstances under which it was shot might be an influence in that, but whether or not it was an accident, whether or not it was not on purpose, um, you're still responsible for it. So I think that that's really, that's really important. Now, if you do all of those things, you're not going to have a problem, right? Um, at least right now, alone, speaking into a microphone, thinking about this stuff, those four major rules, I think, cover all the bases of safety and mindfulness with a rifle that you should be aware of and introduced to before you even hold the rifle for the first time. But if you've been doing it for a long time and you reflect back and you think about your daily practices, your training practices, are those all crossing your mind when you're practicing? And if they're not, which I, I think that, it, you know, to be totally honest, most of us probably neglect some of that, at least consciously, when we go out. And consciously going through that would be really important. I think, you know, they, they say that, that experts are concerned about the basics. Right. And so if you're not, but, but, but getting there, right, the beginners want to know the intermediate stuff, the intermediate people want to know the advanced stuff, and the advanced stuff wants to know the basics. Um, the basics are important, right? They're the foundation from which all great results happen. 
and those all rest on this platform of safety. Uh, because you know, if you're in prison, you're you're probably not going to accomplish the goals that that you're going after in the first place. Now, there are some other things that come up when it comes to safety, and some of them are specific and niche, and maybe they don't prevent discharge issues, but they're worth uh, they're worth talking about. And and those safety issues have to do with just understanding the firearm that you own in the first place, because they're all a little bit different. Understanding how to safely manage, handle, disassemble, assemble, and take care of it so it doesn't have problems is very important. What, what, what rounds would load into your rifle that aren't appropriate rounds, is not chambered for, and what would be the consequence if that happened? I think that's important. I've seen rifles here at Hunter Sighting where somebody went to a um, a gun show and they bought some ammo that was loaded by somebody in an ammo bag and they just assumed like, okay, this is good to go. But there were different rounds mixed in there, but they chambered just fine and, and the action blew up. And, and I think that when it comes to safety, being aware of the consequences of having the wrong round put in and chambered into your, uh, your firearm is probably one that's good to know. And also, if they're, if it's an old firearm, understanding like what the pressure limitations of an older firearm might be compared to a newer one, not everything meets SAMI specs, and not everything um, is designed to take modern ammunition. And it's probably not a bad idea to know what would actually load and be able to shoot. And if it did, you know, would it be safer or would it cause catastrophic Problems. I'm not an expert in that, but I have seen problems with that where people did get hurt because they chambered the wrong round into the wrong rifle by accident. And that um, has to be added on as an asterisk here to the firearm safety because even if everything else was done right, you think you're doing everything right. But then when you pull the trigger, uh, there's obviously an excess of pressure that causes problems and it doesn't send the rifle or send the bullet down range. Um, some matches require that you wear eyes and ears. There are other matches that have suppressors only. Ears might be optional. Some ranges they have insurance or a safety protocol or the person that's running the match just simply says you have to have your eyes on. When it comes to safety, it's a good idea to have eye protection on. I've shot a lot without eye protection. It's a conscious decision. I have accidentally shot without ear protection. It was a mistake by being too busy, probably looking at a camera or, or recording or doing something. Nevertheless, there's consequences to both of those that in terms of safety, uh, the eye protection can have an immediate and negative consequence. I have had, not from shooting stuff, but I have had metal bits uh, in my eyeballs, and let me tell you, eyes are very sensitive, and even a small amount of metal or metal fragments in your eyeball hurts like crazy. And no matter how tough you feel, it pretty much immobilizes you from doing anything else but wanting to get that metal out of your eye, and if it requires a specialist, um, and it could have been avoided by wearing eye protection, probably a good idea to do that. You want to definitely have appropriate eye protection so that you're not wearing something that you think you're safe and you end up being hurt by that anyway. But I, I do think that making sure that people wear eye protection in the event that uh, 
something is sending to their eyeball, that, that's, that's important for safety. Ear protection is good. Most of us have a ringing in our ears, even with ear protection. Recently, I've just started wearing foamies and earmuffs. I had the in-the-ear uh, protection, but but there was just too many issues. Like just, bro, I mean, I don't even want to get into it, but but I think that just having backup ear protection is is a really good idea. So those are probably the the big things that are worth thinking about and having a list. And even if it seems excessive, I do think it's worth reminding yourself that you're responsible for everything that happens. The best way to stay responsible and avoid complications are to treat firearms like they're loaded. Keep the muzzle point in a safe direction. Keep your finger off the trigger until you're ready to shoot, which means you have a sight picture and know what your target is, where your target is, what's behind it, around it. Um, I would even say that don't close your bolt till you have a sight picture. Um, that'll add a layer of safety in there depending on your, the system that you're shooting. But um, that is a good place to start and a good place for me to say, I think it's worth spreading the love and educating people and keeping them familiar with it. And even if they don't shoot a whole lot, those things will help safety as a culture and that promotes a positive relationship with people around us, people near us, people that see us, and the way that we look as a community is really important in the bigger picture uh, politically and socially. So it's just a good thing to do all the way around. Now, uh, I'm gonna kinda, I kinda lost my train of thought there and I'm starting to mumble a little bit, so I'm gonna uh, sidetrack here and I'm gonna talk about RifleCraft website. Uh, it's been moved over to Shopify right now, so if you see that, uh, I'm going to have some links. I'll put the links in the show notes to that. There are classes. The only ones that are posted now are the six sessions in 2024, uh, May, June, July, August, September, October at Cameo. And those are three-day classes. And they're listed as the Mountain Hunter class. Although they might be more specific to things like hunting and competition as they get closer. I did hear that the International Precision Rifle Competition uh, is at Cameo, so I imagine that it's probably worthwhile having at least one of those classes tailored to shooting competitions. I don't shoot that style. Uh, I've, I've shot some at that style. I, I have some trophies from Cameo. I have three, tro three trophies from Cameo's doing precision matches, um, you know, national matches, but it's not my true love in shooting, but, but nevertheless, I, I love competition, and so doing competition workshops at a place like Cameo is really great, and that could allow people to familiarize themselves and see some of the, the ins and outs of that facility, because if you're not used to Western-style shooting and you're not used to Western-style stages, it can be a real shock, even if you're good at a flat, square-range-type shooting, because it's harder to find targets, it's harder to know how to index on those targets in transition. Also, some of the wind conditions and weather conditions, it's nice to be familiarized with that stuff. I, I do think that a lot of it could be trained, even without having coming out here, if you know what specifically to dry fire, what specifically to train and think about, and that will help speed up your ability to get on target to do what you're supposed to do. I think that the shooting part is pretty straightforward, but getting to that ability to shoot, depending on the time frame and how much how much 
of an ability you have to find the targets ahead of time can play a big role in your ability to shoot at all. And some of that is, you know, there's different styles of shooting. Some of them you have to find the targets. Some, some, some they point out the targets to you. Some you have time to prepare. Some you don't have time to prepare. And a place like that's great because we can have stages of all the different styles and say, here are the challenges in each of these styles in conditions like this when it comes to time, finding targets, strategizing and, and moving and what equipment is helpful. Uh, so that's likely going to turn around. And so, so probably, probably the first few classes are going to be tailored towards the competition because that'll be like the early phase of a lot of shooting competition series. So people can get tuned up and sped up to that in, in, uh, in May and still have the opportunity to compete out west if, if that's something that they're into. So, so I think that's going to happen. Now, there's going to be local workshops here at Green Mill and at Fort Morgan as well as weekend classes. They're just not up on the calendar. The, the subscribers to Riflecraft, if you go to riflecraft.com and you hit subscribe and you become a subscriber, you get all the analytics data. You, you can log your targets. You can log your data. You can um, see things and predictions and kind of help you tailor your training. And there's a, there's, a, there's a podcast called The Subcast, and I'm going to start doing much more specific kind of application training ideas that people could do at home there. And they're short, but it'll be things like, you know, if you're going to go to Cameo for competition, if it's locate, range, engage, here's what I would do and how I would do it. If it's uh, precision style, this is how I would train and what I would do for up. And, and a lot of that you could do at home or you could do at your local range with the right mindset. So a lot of it comes down to the mindset and knowing what are the specific things you need to train to get the results that you want. And um, I think that, that to a large part, you know, most shooters are probably capable physically or in terms of their marksmanship, they're, they're able to perform at the highest levels, but something's holding them back. And so figuring out what that stuff is that's holding them back is part of what I do in my coaching, and that's been uh, wildly successful. Finding ways to, to offer that out um, without one-on-one -on -one is a little bit tricky, but I'm gonna be doing that on the subcast. So if you're a subscriber, uh, that, that's what's gonna be happening um, starting today. And if you're not a subscriber and you wanna hear tips, trip, tips and training ideas there about you know, how, how do I shoot paper and think about one element versus another, if I'm gonna shoot in flat terrain, what, what is probably more important? If I'm shooting in hilly or rocky terrain, what's probably more important? And things that you could try and test at the range or incorporate into your skill because if you're not getting the results that you want, it's likely you're not training the right things, right? And doing more of the same isn't gonna get you any better. So you're, I mean, you know, I've, I've said this on other ones, like, you're a representation of the things that you do, but in order for you to change or get results that you don't get, something needs to be added that you're not doing, right? What you're doing is keeping you where you are now. And so uh, those thoughts and ideas and not knowing specifics about people, it's hard because you got to cast out these nets and trust that people say, okay, I need this. This is what I'm going to do. And that, that could be hard, but but anyway, that's going to be the experiment there. You know, it's, it's kind of like... Um, I have some friends that, that do um, the beer mile. Have you heard of the beer mile? The beer mile is like this race where you run a mile on a track, a 400-meter track, and every lap you drink a beer. And so you think like, okay, well, you know, I could drink a beer 
and run a lap and drink a beer and run a lap. But, but you don't realize, like, these guys are disgustingly fast, right? Like, the world record for a beer mile, keep in mind that they have to drink a 12-ounce beer till it's empty before they start running each lap. The world record, I think, is about four and a half minutes. So these guys ran a mile and drank four beers in four and a half minutes. So you think like, okay, well, how are you going to train for that? Well, I would probably start with years and years and years of running and building a good muscular and aerobic system because drinking is going to prevent that from developing the appropriate way. And so developing and expressing things in an appropriate sequence is really important. Also, like in the ultra running community, I remember when uh, some of those guys that were winning the 100 milers, they went on keto diets. And so so people thought, well, man, to be this high-end athlete, I have to be uh, on a keto diet. But I think what, what my, my understanding is what, what, what a lot of people missed was, you know, these people trained for years and years to develop the VO2 and the recovery and the strength to be amazing runners. But to get the times that are competitive, slowing down to run and having some of the digestive issues of, of fueling themselves with the calories that were available and goos and, and bars, it was, it was kind of preventing continuous high-end output. So these guys would train, 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 and then before a race, wean themselves onto a keto diet so they didn't have to eat, so that they were getting carbohydrates or, 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 or they're getting the ketones from their body in a way where they could stay fueled at a level to perform for you know, 10, 12, 13, 15 hours uh, and not have to stop and eat stuff. But they didn't get there eating that way, right? They got there training a different way, and then they, there was an application that they tailored themselves to. And I think that's that, that way in shooting also. Like a lot of hunters that go to competition to train and become better hunters get hooked on competition and they started training precision and they got really good at precision. And people say, oh, well, this is what they did to get really good for competition, forgetting the fact that they spent years and years developing gear handling, target acquisition, and proper fundamentals as that base. And they only see that sexy, fine-tuned final bit or, oh, well, you know, they got these weights on there and all of a sudden they perform better. But you forget the years and the sequence of events that took place for them to get to there uh, everybody wants to do what they're doing right now, not the things that actually got them to where they're at. And so that mindset is something that I've, I've always got when I'm listening to a shooter talking about their particular goals or an athlete talking about their particular goals. It's not necessarily what are the people at the level of their goals doing right now, but it's what did they do to get to that level. And because it's likely that top person is now trying to find and fine tune that little bit to get that 1% edge but most of us need 10, 15, 20% boosts. And those come from other things, right? Not the sexy little flashy things. And uh, anyway, that's what's going to be going on there. And uh, if you haven't gone over to Sniper Side recently, go there. There's a bunch of articles and videos, and there's going to be some big changes coming to Sniper's Hide in the next two months, including some, some rifle craft snipers hide stuff that will be launching in the next two months which is pretty exciting and i'm stoked about it but now that this has gone on this long i am going to let this go but not before i thank mile high shooting and if you guys don't go to mile high go to milehighshooting.com and get something i'll put a link here in the show notes 
it'll get you a discount and it'll help support this. If you are interested at all in fundamentals and or rimfire or air gun shooting, air gun is getting popular by the day. Go to Utah Air Guns. Utah Air Guns really kicks ass as a shop and they customize and tailor all sorts of different air rifles. But if you're a rifle shooter, an air rifle could be a really good training tool for you in terms of your fundamentals. And even though they are a little expensive, the cost to use them is almost nothing. So it's just an initial investment and then it's badass. And so we've been using them and collecting data and using them in classes and collecting data and pretty soon that's gonna start raining out. So hit up Utah Air Guns. And if you wanna just support the podcast, you could become a subscriber at Riflecraft. You can also uh, just share the podcast and tell people to start listening to it. It is cool to see how big the podcast has gotten. Even after the break, uh, you know, I thought, okay, well, my listeners are going to go back down to zero, and that's not the case. So people really like this, and I appreciate just the support and props. And the best thing you could do is just share it. And if you really want to support it, uh, get a subscription. You know, it, it nowadays. A subscription is cheaper than letting me shoot a magazine of ammo out of your rifle, and that's only once a month. And it helps promote and encourage the podcast. It helps continue um, to do the development stuff that we're doing. And there's a lot of things in the next two months that are coming out. I'm really excited to share, and I'm going to share it first on the subcast and to the subscribers. So like, subscribe, share, and do all that stuff. Check out the show notes. Hit those links. Uh, get stuff and tell them that you heard it from the straight dope.